Hello, this is Carsten Klein from Frechnauern Foundation and this is Connecting the Dots, a podcast series that tries to bring together voices from Europe and South Asia to have a good conversation on the core values of liberalism and, of course, liberal way of life. We hope to capture the differing views, opinions and understandings of all of you. Thank you and have fun. Hello, everyone. My name is Aritha Vikramasinghe and welcome to this podcast, Connecting the Dots, LGBT plus representation in politics, breaking barriers and shaping policies. Uh, this podcast, we're going to talk about LGBT plus and diverse representation in politics, both in Europe and here in South Asia. Recent years, as you've all been aware, there's been a lot of change in terms of inclusive policies and diverse political leadership in both our regions. However, challenges and disparities still persist uh, across both Europe and here in South Asia, with some countries, particularly Sri Lanka, lagging behind in terms of LGBT plus representation. Today, I have with me two very inspiring young political leaders. One, representing the future of politics in Europe, and the other, the future of politics here in South Asia, particularly Sri Lanka. Yannick Jeevan, welcome to this podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. For those of you who are not familiar with these two rising stars in European and South Asian politics, Jeevan Thunderman, he is the Sri Lankan Cabinet Minister for Water Supply and Estate Infrastructure Development. At 28 years old, he's also the youngest cabinet minister in Sri Lankan history. He was elected as an MP at the age of 25 years and was at the time one of the youngest ever elected MPs in Sri Lanka. Yannick Shetty is a young Austrian politician known for his advocacy for racial acceptance and equality. In 2019, Yannick made history by becoming the youngest ever member of the Austrian National Parliament. I'm going to start with a question for both of you. You both come from very marginalized or minority ethnic communities in your respective home countries. How has that shaped your politics? Yannick, as our visitor here, would you like to start? Um, I think your background, your roots, um, they shape you and you can't, you can't ignore that fact, right? Often in, po in politics, um, we, we say that shouldn't play any role, uh, that shouldn't matter, but it does matter. And I strongly believe that um, therefore representation matters. So in, in Austrian parliament, and I strongly believe, I had a couple of appointments today already, that there are similar problems in, uh, in Sri Lanka, but we have um, less women in parliament than in society. We have less, um, members of parliament with a migrational background. We have less members of the LGBTIQ community and we have 30% uh, of the Austrian population under 30, but only 3% of the members of parliament under 30. And I strongly believe what I've heard today that the problems are quite similar or even more in Sri Lanka. So, um, of course, it had an impact and um, it has an impact on my daily business because I strongly believe if a gay man, for example, as I am, um, you have a different perspective on LGBT rights, of course, because you're a um, personal um, 
how to say, um, concerned by this issue, right? So uh, I think it's not the, the only perspective you should have as a politician, your personal one, but of course it has a very strong impact on your daily business. Thank you. Jeevan? Well, um, every time um, you know someone asks me how, how is it to be a minority a minority representative in this country. I always felt like the only minority in a developing country are the educated. Because when you have lack of education, lack of awareness, you tend to look at everybody with a biased perspective. And I represent a community that was historically marginalized for over 200 years. And in fact, this year, 2023, is the 200th anniversary of indentured labor coming in from India to Sri Lanka to work in the tea estates. So, you know, it's um, it, it's kind of ironic in a way because it was exactly because of the tea industry and the tea estate pluckers why this country received its free education system. And it's kind of sad, 200 years later, the very same community struggled to find a good, you know, school or access to quality education. So I guess for me... Um, Politics was never in my grand scheme of things. But um, I think when you are given the responsibility, instead of shunning it, you take it and you make a change. Because uh, what's even more harmful than people who take advantage of vulnerable communities are people who have the power to change it and yet do nothing. So we're more or less enablers, you could say so. I think um, that was one of the main reasons for me to step into politics. But also given the community that I represent. Earlier, I mean, I have to be completely honest with you guys. Earlier when I first came into parliament, my sole focus was on the tea estate workers, tea estate pluckers. So as I you know, started navigating through politics, I think I realized at the end of the day, the basis of this community is that they don't have a voice and they're heavily discriminated against so much exploitation. So when I took a step back and looked at it from a larger scheme of things, I realized, you know, it's not just this community that's marginalized. You have the LGBTQ community. You have so many different communities in Sri Lanka who are supposedly Sri Lankan, but yet not Sri Lankan. You know, treated as second-class, third-class citizens simply because of their um, place of birth, the language they speak, the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, their gender identification. So... I guess discrimination is something that we have to accept, but it's not something we have to put up with. So overall, I think my time in politics, I've learned to be from, to go from being, you know, community-based to more anti-discriminatory. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Jeevan, you are an anomaly in Sri Lanka's parliament not just because of how refreshing your perspective of things are, just like how you explained why you're in politics in the first place, but also because of your age. Um, as uh, Yannick said, in Austria, 30% of the population is below 30, but only 3% of parliamentarians are below 30. How important do you think it is for you, Jeevan, that there is youth and diverse representation in politics? I think it's very important, especially considering the fact that I am where I am today, because of nepotism. I think one thing that the moderator forgot to mention is um, I'm a fourth generation politician. So uh, my party was started 89 years ago, 84 years ago, sorry, by my great grandfather, who was a cabinet minister. And then it was my father. And upon his death, I took over. 
So what I always felt is, see, I think we have to accept that about South Asian culture. South Asian political culture revolves around nepotism, not just in Sri Lanka. You take Bangladesh, you take India, and that is the reality of it. But at the end of the day, if you don't work, people will not vote for you. And again, there are more than enough examples for that. But given the situation, the fabric of society we live in, has Sri Lanka achieved pure democracy or total democracy? I would say no. For right now, for youth to get into parliament, they have to be from a political family. It's not easy for youth in Sri Lanka. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure about Australia. You would, I assume you'll elaborate on it later. But um, with Sri Lanka, it's not easy for youth to get into parliament unless you're from a political family. And it's even more difficult for women to get into parliament. I think we are at 5.8% representation currently in the parliament. And um, because of that, because of a lack of representation of women and youth, you are able to see the trickle-down effect because the laws that have been coming into place are outdated. It's not progressive. Abortion is still, you know, illegal in Sri Lanka. So basically, an underage girl could get raped, get pregnant, but she'd have to have the child. And this is the kind of insensitiveness that, you know, we're dealing with. However, let's say if there was more women representation in Sri Lanka, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. And right now, um, recently, one good thing, the silver lining, is that there was a private member's bill put in parliament to decriminalize, um, you know, uh, homosexuality. But what people don't know is it was actually never illegal to be a homosexual in Sri Lanka, simply because, you know, that's how the law was interpreted. In India, you have Article 377. In Sri Lanka, you have 365, 365A. And both these laws based, you know, completely, completely dependent on interpretation. It was targeted at the LGBTQ community. So, um, you know, with that being said, we also have to accept the fact that these laws technically did not have anything to do with our culture. Let it be Hinduism, Buddhism. It is, it is merely the leftover homophobic voice of colonization, which is exactly. you know, taking control. Mm. So that's what I mean. You know, when you have a different fabric, you need to have different, um, you know, representation. If you don't have it, then you're not going to progress as a country. As the moderator always says, you can't achieve economic progress without social progress. Mm. Thank you, Jeevan. <laughs> I don't think this is the opportunity for you to quote my texts or <laughs> messages. I am asking the questions, but thank you. Uh, Yannick, you know, Jeevan spoke on um, historic marginalization of particularly his community. It's been, as he said, nearly 200 years since members of his community were brought to Sri Lanka as pretty much indentured labor. Um, you speak a lot of integration of migrant communities and generational equity. Uh, it's a really strong and powerful term which you use, generational equity. Uh, what is generational equity to you? And why is it so important that inequality and inequity is seen from this generational aspect. I will do now something what politicians in Austria often do. I will answer the question, but first let me say something to what you said before, because I would like to, to add the Austrian or maybe European perspective to what you said. Because often I think in, in Western, in European countries, um, we have a kind of a snobistic view on countries as Sri Lanka, right? So. I totally agree what you said in, and you are an example, right? So if you want to get young into politics, you need to have 
some kind of connections, belong to a family. But it's not that different in Austria. It's maybe not the family you're born in, but it's a specific class or a specific uh, milieu you belong to or not. And so this is actually really something I'm kind of proud of because I am someone who was not meant to belong into parliament. I'm, I'm the son of a working mom. My, my, my father passed away when I was quite young. She, she worked hard and um, she was alone at home. Um, I'm gay. I'm, um, I look more like a Sri Lankan than an Austrian, right? So I'm not, I was not meant to belong to the, in the Austrian parliament. And uh, so when, when Austrians and Europeans are speaking of great European democracies, and they are not perfect at all, that, um, that I wanted to add. So to your question, why, um, why I put a focus so much on generation equality, equity, is because um, I strongly believe, and that's also the reason why more young people should be in politics, what we do day by day in politics is we are creating the future. We are taking decisions um, which mostly don't affect the people living in the here and now. They are affecting the taking effect in 5, 10, 15 years, depending on the fields of politics. But regarding climate change, for example, or also the social systems, um, or how we create our economy, these are decisions we today make um, concerning the, the younger generation, and they are not represented in this place. I, I often say politics because, especially for young people, it's so difficult to understand what is politics, what is parliament, what is government. And I often try to translate this complex term that politics is the place where we human beings come together and we agree how to live. So, And we make rules how to live together. And at this place, there are lots of old people and very few young people. And I think this um, is from a perspective of generation equality, equity, a very bad fact. Um, and yeah, I think we can discuss the various fields of politics, especially I put a focus on climate, climate change issues, where I think that if the politicians 10, 20, 30 years ago had made the right decisions, then we wouldn't have to discuss what we have to discuss now. No, I agree with you. And actually when I saw that, you were speaking so much about generational equity. It's actually something which Jeevan always speaks about. Uh, for you, it's you often say it's not just equality you want, but equity. What does that mean to you? Well, Why do you say that? In simple terms, let's say if you have a differently abled person and you have a, another person who could, you know, who's functioning quite well, and you expect both of them to come to the fifth floor by taking the stairs, that's equality but you give the person who is differently abled an elevator and make the other person take the stairs. That's equity. And just to add on to what um, you know, he had mentioned earlier, see, you know, when we mentioned that youth don't know what politics is, I totally agree with you, but there's a reason behind that. The underlying reason is because in modern political history, politicians have created such a bad um, aspect or reputation for politics as a profession, nobody wants to take part in it. Those who do want to make a change choose a different field. But all they do is sit and criticize. But to come forward and make the change, sometimes you've got to take the dive. I can give you an example. I mean, in Sri Lanka, if you look at one of the main issues that we have with what you said, you know, 30 years ago, if they made the decisions, the problem is 30 years ago, they were the ones who were supposed to make the right decisions, but they didn't make it. And 30 years later, they are still the ones in parliament. So you see the problem. 
And um, I think they are long in parliament as we are alive, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean that's what I always say. You know, till, um, I think Sri Lanka will develop from 2030 onwards, because if people don't vote some of them out, nature will take them out. So you know, it's either this or that. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I think I think the current crop of politicians are you know such as yourself or many of the youngsters actually, even in India for that matter, they are quite progressive. And you know, I think it is hope for a brighter future so me personally i wouldn't look at it in a pessimistic way or a realistic way for that matter i'll be quite optimistic about it because only if we in that position are optimistic can we drive that change may i just one comment on this because um, um, i think that a situation in sri lanka might be quite similar um, concerning the regarding the view of the um, people of the society of politicians and i think You, you might know, the listeners might know Sebastian Kurz. He was one of the youngest, I think he was the youngest head of, of government ever. And uh, he was very popular for a certain time, a period of time. And he always said, and I really, I really hated this. He always said when he was interviewed um, and he was asked why he got politician, he always answered, you know, actually I wanted to learn a real job, a good job, but then I got politicians. So, and he prolonged these stereotypes in society about politicians, right? This is not a good job. This is corruption. This is nepotism. This is bad. And he always, he played with this because he knew if he says this, the people say, ah, he's right. Yeah. He's, he, I, I might think he's one of the better politicians, but still he has the right view on things and he's prolonging the stereotypes. And I really, yeah, I think we also as politicians, we should have a new, a new, um, yeah, responsibility about our job and also be, and do it with a certain pride. It's a, it's one of the most important jobs, right? Creating society, creating future. And, um, yeah, I think this could also be a, um, 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 a character of a new generation of politicians, not, um, prolonging the stereotypes created by the, by the, um, generations before. Yannick, these stereotypes of politicians, which you speak about and which Jeevan touched on as well, How does that impact you personally, people's perceptions of you, your own mental health? How do you deal with it? Uh, it depends. I actually can, um, can deal with it, but um, I, often, I often tell an anecdote when, when, it, when it comes to that. Um, I've been three years ago at the funeral of, um, um, of a member of my family, far member of my family, and then we were standing together and the people that, that didn't know me and they asked me, oh, what, are you, what are you doing professionally? And then I, I just said, I'm politician. I didn't say the party or anything. I just said a politician. And like this group of people, 10 people or so, collectively, uh, you know, <laughs> like so, politician. Uh, so, and um, yeah, and, and actually I think that's the problem, right? Because actually the people, the family members should say, wow, he's a politician. Um, what, what actually bothers me, what does bother me is um, the development on social media. I actually have, uh, um, there was not big strategy behind that. It happened um, during COVID, but I was one of the first politicians at TikTok on uh, like um, doing social media on TikTok. And I became the biggest social media uh, TikTok account in politics in Austria. And so um, this is on the one hand great because I can connect with, a lots of, 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 of young people. But on the other side, um, the amount of hate and uh, hate comments is really, you can't moderate this, right? And uh, yeah, I needed some time to find strategies to deal with it. Now I'm fine, um, but, um, but it's not easy because no one prepares you for that, right? And 
Does it impact you the same way, even? Well, I mean, I come from, a, as I told you, a political family, so I've dealt with, you know, being ostracized and abused throughout my life. And over here, as you're aware, you know, there was a war for 30 years between the LTT and the army, and the LTT were considered internationally as Tamils, right? Just pure Tamils. So when I used to, I grew up in India for a fair amount of time, and when I used to go to school, I used to get bullied, and they'll call me LTT, they'll call me a terrorist. When in reality, I was part of the upcountry community. People don't know that my community exists. So because of that, you know, I think it's not just harassment. I mean, bullying, everything, it's part of it. But there has been something that I've always thought about. I think, I think the mental health aspect is the most important thing. Today, there's such a big stigma around mental health. People are embarrassed to talk about mental health. People are embarrassed to talk about mental health as to how people are embarrassed to talk about AIDS many years ago. But only if you recognize it as an issue can you find solutions. So now with mental health, I mean, I'm just genuinely telling you as politicians, as you said, you know, with great pride, we carry responsibility. When we brush away mental health, then what do you think happens to the youth? You, know, you mean in, your own mental health? Correct. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something important and something that it has to be dealt with. I mean, I have anxiety. I... I barely sleep, all these issues are there, but it's about how you cope, you know? And I think all it comes down to is, especially when you're in politics, you can never tell who your friends are. You know, we have a term, fair weather friends, right? When you're in power, they're your friends, when you're not in power, they're your enemies. So I think one thing I learned is you need to have a very good support system. And fortunately, I was blessed with two amazing sisters and a very supportive mother. So in that sense, I think I've, been privileged enough to, you know, uh, keep my mental health in check. But at the same time, I can give you a piece of advice though. All these hate comments, I get tons too. But you know what I do? I go and correct their grammar. Yeah. <laughs> they get so upset. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did a similar thing. I, we, we, we took a video, I, I talked to my to my colleagues and then we said, what should we do with all these hate comments um, for, to a specific video? And then we we made a list, I think it were like 400 comments and we 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 chose the, the, the worst ones, right? <laughs> and then we made our own video and I read them, right? And at the end of the video I said, and by the way, we send all these comments to the um, prosecutor. So, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and I think, yeah, I think that's the way to deal with it. Or you can take it a step further. I don't want to mention the name, but there's a very, very popular politician in Sri Lanka. And one time when I went to that politician's house, you know, um, this politician is someone they make so many memes about. You know, you have so many trolls. They make so many memes, it's unbelievable. And then I was so shocked, I went to this person's house. And, and that person has photos framed of these memes. That's <laughs> <laughs> great. And then when I asked them, I said, why? And then they were just like, you know, they go through so much trouble to make fun of me. I might as well, you know, glorify them in my house. So I think it's how you take it. Because one thing that I've learned is, you can never control somebody else's actions, but you can always control your reaction. Mm. You know, so... You take it in stride, you're going to be fine. It's mm. great. Thank you. That's, I think, a really good piece of advice, not just for other young politicians, but I think for other young people dealing with hate comments on social media and mental health challenges, which, as you note, a lot of people are ashamed to speak about. But it's really nice to see two leaders really openly talk about these issues so frankly. And I think that's why youth representation really matters. I want to move this conversation a bit more to the... LGBT 
p- aspect of it, especially considering it is Pride Month. Uh, happy Pride Month to both of you. Um, Jeevan, you know, you as a young politician and someone who comes from a marginalized community yourself, you spoke about earlier on how you do champion causes of other marginalized communities. And in Sri Lanka, you've almost become a hero for the LGBT plus community because of the way how you openly challenge discrimination and champion the cause. Why do you think ending discrimination and marginalization of the LGBT, of the LGBT plus community is important here in Sri Lanka? And considering our economic and other challenges, do you think it is the right time to address it? Yeah, because I mean, um, you know, right now this country is going through economic crisis, and this is one of the worst, um, you know, period in our in our modern history, at least. And given this, I think it depends on your perspective. Usually, when there's adversity, opportunities are created, and if you're smart, you make use of that opportunity. In my view, if this crisis didn't come, three six five three six five wouldn't have been repealed at all. You know, people would have just gone about their own lives like how it is and that's pretty much the case i mean see the reason why i am you know i was there for decriminalization and you know all these other laws is because of one simple reason it's because of the fact that all these laws are pre-colonial laws you know all these laws was handed down to us by people who ruled over us i mean i'm not harboring any hard feelings for example in you know in relation to both communities LGBTQ community, yes, due to colonization, you had 365, 365A, and so many people went through persecution. And with relation to my community, the upcountry Tamils, we are still governed by the Indian Labor Act. We are not Indians, we are not laborers. So this is what I mean, you know, that trickle-down effect, because that puts a mark on your identity. Then I think, you know what, see, people can live in poverty. You know, they'll come out of it, they won't come out of it, as long as they have the opportunity, it's fine. But you cannot live without a sense of identity. You know, I mean, it's very depressing to know that you're stateless, you know, that you don't belong where you were born. So I think that was one of the main reasons. And and I personally feel this is something I told, um, I mean, there was a LGBTQ panel discussion a few months ago. And there's something I mentioned in that panel discussion as well. I, I was quite clear on the fact that, you know, don't go for a 100% win. If the government is decriminalizing this by repealing it, take the win. And step by step. But the important aspect is you keep the dialogue going. Because right or wrong, eventually you will get there. You know, so, and I, like I said earlier, I think it's during times of trouble, you can get things moving. So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the logic behind it. You know, Yannick, as Jeevan explained, and as you know, the situation in Sri Lanka, we're still dealing with decriminalization. Like we haven't got to even address the cause of discrimination yet, because many members of the LGBT community suffer under criminalization. Europe has been a real trailblazer in terms of uh, human rights uh, laws and policies over the last several decades. And these have positively impacted all kinds of people, diverse people, uh, particularly the LGBT plus community. What initiatives or laws do you think uh, really strengthened this respect for diversity and human rights in Europe? And what can we learn here in South Asia from them? 
I would first ask you a question if you know when in Austria and several other countries homosexuality was decriminalized. Do you know? Do you have a guess? Varies. I mean, I know some countries of the 60s, some the 90s. In Austria it was 2004. So it's oh, not really? that long time ago. Wow. So I think I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So that's not I mean, I was um, 9 years old, so um, despite it being a member of the European community. Yes. And yes, the convention. Yes. And rights. I mean, there are still Euro members of the European uh, Union. I mean, they don't have it in the criminal code, but they they disrespect um, human rights, um, um, I think, far more than Sri Lanka does. If you look at uh, Orban's uh, Hungary, for example, also to Poland, uh, I mean, in Poland, they they created, and I, I believe this is a situation worse than in Sri Lanka, they created from the government side LGBT-free zones. Um, I mean, yeah, this is part of the European Union. So I think we, um, so from both sides regarding South Asia or Asia or Asia or Africa, everything but Europe, but also in the other side, Europe, I think we have a little a misconception of how reality is. Of course, nowadays the situation is, um, is, uh, is in most European countries really good. Um, especially concerning the legal situation. So in Austria, we have almost no legal discrimination anymore. But the situation in society is not that, I think it's not that much better than in Sri Lanka. I don't know if there, are, I actually really don't know if it's a um, huge problem for members of the LGBT community to get beaten up if they go on the streets holding hands. Might be, but in Austria, it's a really rising problem. And I think we, 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 don't have, we, we shouldn't make the mistake only looking at the legal situation, which is really good. In the meantime, by the way, all the steps, as you said, step by step, uh, weren't created by legislation, all by the um, constitutional court and by the highest European courts and so on. So it was never the parliament um, did the progress. But uh, we have huge problems in society and they are very, um, as a, on the one hand, the very strong influence of the Catholic Church. I also learned that also in Sri Lanka, the Catholic Church is one of the players um, 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 uh, concerning the LGBT rights um, in a difficult situation. And on the other side, we have, especially in the big cities like Vienna or Berlin, we have huge migrational societies um, with lots of uh, people coming from Turkey, for example, or from Syria. And of course, they have different, they, they grew up with different values, with different legal systems. And, um, and they came to Austria, especially in the years 2015, 2016. And we also have a lot of uh, problems there. I think the solution is not to tackling it with the racism and to say all of them out. Of course not. But we have to address these problems. And I think there is, um, yeah, uh, a, a lot to do also in Austria. Sorry, Arthur, if I may just, I mean, uh, again, going back to the question which you had asked, just to clarify, I missed out one more point. So one of the reasons why we, not just in Sri Lanka, but anywhere, if there's any law that basically, you know, creates bias against a person or a community, why it should not be in existence is for a very simple reason. See, you know, there's always going to be discrimination. There's always going to be hate. You know, as long as there's love and togetherness, there's always going to be, you know, discrimination and hate. But my argument is, let there be discrimination and hate, that's up to everyone. But the law shouldn't give space to legalize discrimination and hate. Because when you do that, you're opening a floodgate, which you can't close after that. So that was pretty much another reason why we wanted to push for change. But just so you know, you know, yes, the Catholic Church, they're quite, um, they're quite vocal here, especially after 
you know, the Easter bombings that we had to deal with in 2019. But there's just two things. I mean, one, um, His Holiness the Pope, he himself has said that all are children of God. And, you know, so all his subordinates saying something, I, I am personally not supportive of that. And the second thing is, I think Sri Lanka or Australia or wherever, I personally don't think that situation is worse here than wherever. It's subjective. You know, it's injustice anywhere, it's threat to justice everywhere. So it's one of those things. And lastly, lastly, whatever said and done, one thing I know about this country, it's that this country, religion always overrides logic. Mm. Most of the decisions made here mm. based on religion. But now we're coming out of it, so brighter future. And they really want to underline one, one point. I think there will always be homophobia, there will always be hate, but we cannot accept that there is legalized homophobia. Correct. And that's the point um, in Sri Lanka and also in various different countries mm -hmm. in the world. No, I agree. Um, Yannicka, I want to talk about, of course, LGBT plus representation politics and, you know, you're an openly gay politician. How was that like for you? Um, I actually never had a huge problem with my colleagues in parliament. Um, but still, there are parliamentarians, colleagues of mine. So we are 183 parliamentarians and I'm one of them. And there is, for example, one other. She said 2016, when the, when the, the marriage ban was lifted, she said in an interview, and it's not a long time ago, right? She said, this is the first step to polygamy and the marriage between uh, siblings. So, yes. yeah. So, and I mean, of course, when <laughs> marrying I, children, right? <laughs> exactly. pedophilia, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and there was a quote, right? And um, of course, uh, when I held my first speech in Parliament, knowing ten meters away this member of Parliament is sitting, of course, it's not that easy. But um, in a one-to-one -one situation, I never, I never experienced homophobia from my colleagues or so. But. Um, yeah, I think, I have to be honest, we have a very different situation in Austria in the year 2023 because in the meantime we have, I think, 10, 10 out of 183 um, MPs uh, who are LGBTIQ, so one of these, and this is of course a very different situation. So there, the different situation in Austria I think is reflected, right? Because I think in Sri Lanka, is there any openly? Get, um, I can't tell. We can tell, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but not open, not open. Yeah. We, we had have, before, we yeah, had before, then, we yeah, had a minister we had before. before. Yeah, okay. uh, actually, on that, Jeevan, what do you think are the challenges faced by LGBT plus individuals in pursuing political careers in, here in Sri Lanka? And what strategies would you employ I don't to overcome think them? There will be any issue with social acceptance. I think there will be an issue with political acceptance because you have so many politicians in Sri Lanka who are running these outfits. And each outfit in Sri Lanka is based on an ideology. Either it's based on extremism or, you know, so many different things. But one thing they all share in common is it stems from hate. You know, it can be extremism, it can be racism, it can be whatever. The root cause is hate, right? So I'll give you an example. There, may, there might be a political party in Sri Lanka which is anti-Muslim, you know, like hates Muslims. But if you look at the leaders of the party, some of the best friends will be Muslims, right? So it's, it's, it's that complicated. It's because there's a very big disconnect between the leaders and the people. The leaders think this is what people want. And the people think this is what the leaders are thinking is right. Sounds but like a vicious circle. It is a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle. It's basically three blind men following each other. Mm. You know, and in Sri Lanka, surveys have been done. 
there is social acceptance for the LGBTQ crowd. I'll give you one example. When I started speaking about the LGBTQ community, I don't want to mention who, but quite a significant figure in Sri Lankan politics, he walked up to me and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. But I said, I've spoken about the prevention of terrorism. I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> I've spoken about animal welfare. I don't look like a dog. So you don't have to be part of a community to speak about that. It's, again, it, if people are able to change their perspective. See, again, whenever I speak to some of these hardline politicians, they will ask me, why are you pro-LGBTQ? I said, I'm not pro-LGBTQ. I'm anti-discrimination. There's a very big difference. So I said, if you start looking at the world from a different perspective, then you would realize how you'd be able to, you know, include everyone as you go forward. Unfortunately, it'll take time. Mm. It's not, as I said, it's not an overnight shift. In fact, we were quite open to the fact that my party, the Ceylon Workers' Congress, we were planning on if there was consent from a potential candidate, we were willing to uh, put up a, a candidate from the LGBTQ community in Sri Lanka for parliament. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, I personally feel positive about it. But like I said, social acceptance is there. Political acceptance will be quite fine. I mean, whenever I used to speak about the LGBTQ community, there have been people who walked up to my friends and said, is Jeevan gay? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that mentality needs to change, you know, especially amongst the public. Rural community, I personally don't think there's much of, you know, an objection because they have bigger issues to worry about. How will they feed their kids? How are they going to go to school? So at the end of the day, it's not what it seems. And, but to be honest, last thing, I really think media plays a very big role, you know, in this sort of situation. So I think as much responsibility as politicians have, so does the media and so do all stakeholders. So it's the responsibility of the community to get more allies and, you know, uh, more people into the course. Mm. Actually, Jeevan brings, brought a very good point on public perceptions. And there was a survey done about two years ago and the results were released last year, an island-wide survey on public perceptions on the LGBT community. And at that time, 72% of Sri Lankans uh, supported decriminalization. Uh, and actually, when you looked at the Buddhist and Hindu communities, which make up the majority, it was almost nearly 90% of support for ending uh, criminalization. And interestingly, as well, 65% of Sri Lankans supported changing the constitution to prevent discrimination against the LGBT plus community. So I think, as you said, there is this disconnect between people's perceptions and what people want and politicians. And maybe that's an age issue, right? Uh, <laughs> most of these politicians in Sri Lanka and also clearly in Austria, they're probably out of touch with exactly their age, so. with a very fast moving I mean, generation. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I disagree with that. I don't think it's an age issue. I mean, and I, I don't want to mention names again, but in parliament, I have seen some senior politicians who are supporting the cause and some young politicians who yes. not only oppose the cause, but go out of their way to yeah. make sure it doesn't come up. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, again, with this particular aspect, especially with social factors, I don't think age is a factor at all. I think it's perspective. And maybe maybe not change. the age, but generation. I think it's a... It's a of course, if you grew up in a generation where worldwide, um, speaking of the 60s, of the 50s, 60s, 70s, where um, homosexuality was worldwide 
banned illegal, I think it's, um, it creates a mindset, right? I still believe, as you said, that there, are, um, there can be, of course, allies who are 50 or 60 years old or 70 years old supporting LGBTIQ issues. But the mindset in the, in the so-called boomer generation, I, I do think it is different to, to ours. You know, just Sorry, speaking, no, 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 speaking to both of you, like I see this like so much in common uh, with the both of you and it's so refreshing to have this kind of conversation. Yeah, it's such yeah. a nice conversation and we should say to listeners we just met like three, five minutes ago. I'm a fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> he is, he is. But I mean, you have so much in common. You are both passionate about human rights, uh, particularly social integration and non-discrimination. You both have a very strong South Asia connection, particularly to India, actually. And you both come from a legal background. Uh, you've done an LLB, you've done your LLB or the equivalent. I believe your age is the same as well. Are you 29 this year? 28. 28, okay, 28, 28. You'll be 29 in a few months. months. You're both the same age, very (laughs) similar in so many ways. Uh, What do you actually think you can both teach and learn from each other? Jeevan? See, now this, you give me the first (laughs) (laughs) But no, um, I know, see, at the end of the day, I think, and I'm going to be quite blunt here. I think when I finished my high school, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I had a very conservative mentality. And it's simply because of the family I come from, the family, the community, and all of that. Uh, so, you know, just providing education is not the only solution. It's providing exposure. You know, exposing yourself to different cultures, different people, different communities. And it creates this important factor within you, which is empathy. Because empathy, I feel, is the root cause of change, more than anything, right? If you can't put yourself in someone else's shoes and see how they look at the world, then it's not going to go far. So right after school, you know, I studied in India, Malaysia, England, back here. And, the you know, different sets of people I met, the different groups I met, it was um, refreshing. And there's, in fact, one story, which I don't know if my friends from... London will ever hear this, but I think that's that's been one of the main, uh, you know, catalysts in my life in that sense. I had a very good friend. I think I still have him as a good friend, but we haven't spoken in years. But I had a, I had a very good friend in uni. And, uh, you know, he was from the Middle East. So that stigma is very strongly there, you know. That it's, and um, he was, you know, he was in question, like he was questioning his sexuality and all that. So he'll come talk to me and a few of my friends and he'll say that, you know, guys, I'm having these dreams, I'm having these feelings, and I, I'm not supposed to have these thoughts. So we just brushed it off. We were like, you know, this guy's just talking nonsense. Just do whatever you want to do. But we didn't actually put ourselves in his shoes and see how it was for him. Because for him, he was from this background which is uber conservative, you know, and very strict. There's no, you know, uh, escape room there. And uh, then he tried to commit suicide. And that's when we realize how serious this issue is. So that just goes on to show, I mean, luckily nothing happened to him. He's all healthy now, but had something happened to him, his blood would have been on our hands. So if you look at it in the broader scheme of things, that's just one story. There are so many stories like that across the world. Some of them, no one even knows about, right? So I think the most important thing that what I feel we can learn from each other is 
one thing about them is this this is the thing that I noticed what he said 2004 you said they had decriminalized and when did you get into parliament 2019 2019 15 years so it merely took you 15 years from the time they decriminalized to get into parliament now that is progress so what i would like to take from you is how can we bring that mentality of reconciliation into our system because just to give you perspective in 2009 the war ended right after the war ended had we gone for reconciliation we would be a progressive community right now but we didn't do that and it's dragging and dragging and dragging we don't know when it's going to you know come to a uh, come to a full stop but likewise just in a span of 15 years your country went from you know uh, decriminalizing to bringing in a gay member of parliament not just one 10 that is progress and that's something i think our parliament our system our entire you know structure uh, will be able to learn and from our side i think what i can personally you know show you is that with the lgbtq community it's something that i've always told aritha yes there is a selfish and hidden agenda for me in you know speaking for this community if i speak for your community you speak for mine because at the end of the day when it comes to marginalized communities i think we only have each other and we are looking for support from outside the spectrum when in reality there is a lot of support within the spectrum itself it's just that we're not coming together so that would be my take on this um yeah that's yeah. very very nice not much to add maybe just um one or two thoughts so first when i told a colleague of mine from another party two weeks ago that i will go to sri lanka for for a week then his first reaction was so I don't know the quote but he was like what what are you going to teach them right so you go there so what are you talking about at this and um I think this is something um we not only I but we as Europeans also can can I think we can learn so much from you um doing politics in so different circumstances and as always with and 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 um and don't don't see on countries such as Sri Lanka with the um, with the perspective we always do. So when you were talking about advocating for the LGBT community, um I feel you don't feel like this, but I feel this is really courageous, you know, in a in a setting where if you do so, the most of your colleagues the first reaction is, "Oh, is he gay?" right? So this is a, such a different setting and I think that that I and we can learn really a lot from this attitude. Um in Austria, I think we are the sixth or seventh richest country in the world. We have so few problems actually, right? And 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 complaining all of the time nevertheless, right? So, and what um what can I show you? Yeah. I can show you Austria. <laughs> I can show you Austria. So maybe we will we'll, we'll end this. I think this is the end of the podcast with an invitation to but, Austria. But the, so I'm 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 getting shown around um, to this beautiful country. But there is one thing though. As I mentioned earlier, you know, we can learn so much from their system on how fast they progress. I would be more than happy to speak to the foreign minister and the speaker. In fact, get a delegation to Austria just to as a parliamentary exchange program. Yeah, because I think that will help out quite a bit. Mm. Great. It will be a great um, result so, of this podcast. And <laughs> also, I think the ten members of parliament who are from the community, they should come to Sri Lanka, and that will give fresh perspective to all our fossils over here. Great. 
Great. I'm so glad by the outcome of this podcast. I mean, that was the purpose of it, you know, bringing together young leadership, thought leadership and bringing our countries and regions together. So thank you very much for being so open and frank with me, being so honest, sharing your personal issues, your political views. Uh, I think there's a lot we can take from this. And I think we should end this with a hug between you two uh, as a sign of... Uh, that's a good sign of unity between our two countries <laughs> and regions. I'm first, but... <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you, everyone. Thank and you. hope everyone who's listening enjoyed this podcast. Signing off.